0: Don't you think that worries them upstairs? Whatever we're making here is clearly something they need. They can't afford to be surprised again. They'll never be less guards than tomorrow. You know that? On program! Every day we wait, they get stronger. It might be wise to have a plan. We have a plan! Oh, are you you? And Burnock and Melchie! You don't have time to be stupid! Come on! The plan works around a new man coming down! They'll replace Olaf tomorrow. That might not happen again until it's too late. I'd rather die trying to take them down than die giving them what they want. We won't have a better chance.
1: It has to be tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode number 494, Andor, Season 1. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt. And with me, the Brasso and B2 to my Luthan, we've got Carl LeClaire and guest Ben. How's it going, everybody? (laughs) Great. Doing well. I just want to grab
2: a droid arm and just beat the hell out of some Stormtroopers. (laughs)
1: <laughs> excellent ben you got it uh, you got an uplifting I'll message try spinning. for us a I'm, um, sorry i'm pausing for that alone <laughs> <K-K-K-Kassian>. <laughs> uh, well, yes and i'll just try spinning that's a good trick so um, <laughs> oh, oh man
2: ben i'm glad to have you on you are um From pretty much day one, Andor, as you said multiple times in our group text, was the Star Wars show you've been waiting for since 1977 when you were 18 years old, of course. Um, Obviously, I jest. (laughs) (laughs) Ben Uh, is not that old. (laughs) (laughs) Um but uh, when Jason and I were like, all right, we obviously got to do a season recap when it wraps. And I was like, I know exactly who we got to get on because Ben absolutely loves the hell out of the show. I think you love it. No, Jason, I know you and I both really enjoyed it and have enjoyed it more and more as the weeks have gone by. But Ben, you have been in love since day one. So we wanted to have you on to talk about uh, the season in general.
0: Fantastic. I'm <laughs> awesome. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs>
1: excellent um, excellent it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun but before we get to there Carl we had a quick announcement
2: we do indeed we uh, we of course a couple of weeks back had uh, Joe Hogan on with us to talk about the Tartakovsky clone War series Joe was kind enough to offer up one of his celebration prints as a giveaway and uh, we had several folks email in to participate in the in the giveaway so real quick, just thank you to all of you who sent us those thoughtful emails and we apologize that you can't all win. Cause I wish you all could, you all sent such beautifully thoughtful messages and we really appreciate it. Um, but that said, we would like to congratulate Matthew Roloff, who, uh, was the luck of the draw to win the copy of Joe's print, uh, a grand army. So, uh, Matthew, I will get that sent to you by the end of the week. So thank you again for participating. And, um, to that end, I would encourage all of you, if you're not already following us on Instagram, to be sure to do so, because as the Christmas season begins and I once again take out my box of ridiculous amounts of Star Wars ornaments, I'm sure some of them will be offered up for free through our Instagram. So, But if you're not following, you won't know. Um, so be sure to follow us on Instagram at the uh in order to probably snag a few free Christmas Star
1: Wars ornaments this year. Um, yes, I will be following because I I, I need more. No, I don't know. I don't know. I probably don't need more, but uh, the collector in me just wants more. So we'll just say that. <laughs> I sent you back with a ton last year. You're set. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. And I'm getting a Christmas tree this weekend. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting a Christmas tree this weekend. So they'll actually all be on one tree uh, by the time we record next. So – That'll be exciting. Awesome. So, that's
0: funny. I'm thinking. I've been thinking of getting a little, a small Christmas tree that's just the Star Wars stuff. Good call. Because my man. wife doesn't really want it all on the big tree. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good compromise. Be a special tree just for all the Star Wars ornaments.
2: And if I recall <laughs> correctly, you have someone on the inside who's a Christmas tree
0: salesperson. So I do. My son's first job is Christmas yeah. tree salesman. So he's. Uh, yeah.
1: It's our contact. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Oh, my you goodness. Smuggle one out or something. I don't know. That's going to be very difficult to yeah. smuggle. But anyway. Yeah. Maybe we won't encourage <laughs> him to steal on to his first know. job.
2: <laughs>
1: um, all
2: right. So, gentlemen, Andor is a very different type of Star Wars show. Um, and I know yes. for myself, that's, that's created some quibbles. But overall, I think... Um, I sometimes just take a little bit longer to come around to things that are very new and different. But to that end, just kind of looking back in general on season one, what are you thinking? How are you feeling, Jason? You go first. What? What's just kind of your general overall take on this first season?
1: Um. So I will say, uh, just to you know, give us a baseline. I, it's Andor is my least favorite Disney Plus Star Wars show. That's not to say I don't like it, because I do. There's definitely some stuff I really enjoy. There's some great characters in this show um, and some aspects of this show I really, really love. Um, it just uh, – it doesn't it didn't grab me as much as something like, say, Tales of the Jedi did uh, that came out just a little bit ago or Mandalorian. Um, but overall, I'd say uh, I really like the show. It's a slow burn. It's a real slow burn. And so I'm curious, I'm very curious to see where, you know, everyone has ended up at the end of this this season one. I'm very curious to see what happens in season two. I feel like season two is going to hit the accelerator. Um, and I, I hope so. Uh, and I am now, by the time we finish this season, I'm now invested in enough of these characters to really be, you know, want to know what happens to them next. So... It took me a while to warm up to some of them, I will say, but uh, I am now invested in, in a lot of these characters, and I need to know what happens to them next. So uh, overall, um, I'd give it a solid C, uh, C+, plus probably, um, on a grade scale. Uh, but definitely something I'll, I'll, I'll watch Season 2 uh, quite, quite religiously and probably go back and, and uh, re-watch this at some point, too. So
0: Great. Ben, I know. Well, I guess yeah. this is why I'm on this show. This show. <laughs> for me, it is in the very top tier of my Star Wars. I would almost put it at the top, except for if it wasn't for, you know, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back and all that, it probably, you know, I wouldn't understand this <laughs> the same way. But uh, it's, it's absolutely on my, like, close to my top. So um, I've always been a big uh, role-playing game that Mm. i can do a lot of stars role playing games and a lot of that what you're doing is you're making up new characters that are small characters that are that are taking part in this rebellion or whatever taking part have their all small role and this was like a show about those small characters that you hadn't heard of before and how they were also part of this big story um so uh for me it was really significant Mm. um I won't say I would give it I wouldn't say it was perfect. you know there's some things that I would have loved to see it that we didn't um, but just in terms of adding to the to the lore and adding to the this the, this, the story of that like how hard it is to overcome something like the empire mm. it's uh it's epic for me.
2: Your investment in the rebellion has been epic <laughs> Yeah. I love that line yes. by Luthen. Yes,
0: <laughs> that's
1: right. Uh, I can't get up now. I yeah. mean,
0: I'm in. Yeah. Right, exactly. You're, you're
1: trapped. You're trapped, uh, and it doesn't please me to say that, but uh, you're you're here. So, <laughs> uh, what about you, Carl? Where where do you uh, lie on the show yeah. in general? Like a lot of things
2: in Star Wars, I sometimes need a little bit of time to to digest. Um, I think I sometimes uh, suffer from uh, a sense of being overwhelmed by Star Wars on occasion now that Disney has it, right? We just get so much so fast that I think it sometimes just takes me a little bit more time to digest and, and think a little bit more deeply about it. Um, so all that to say, I think the show is absolutely brilliant. It is it is probably the smartest Star Wars TV show ever, um, it is it is a work of art in a way that most Star Wars is not, and I'm very okay with that. I'm very okay with Star Wars being pop art, like like Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Like I eat that stuff up, but this is a different type of art. I think it's a very intelligent, brilliant show with deep, deep character work, um, and I think the 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 action and the heart of the show kind of is anchored in the drama of these characters and their relationships with one another. Their relationships with the Empire and the Rebellion, and 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 how those develop. Um, it's funny. My my roommate asked me the other day what I how I would rank the show because he's he was about ready to start it, and I was like, you know what? I said as as a as a sci-fi drama, it's it's a solid nine out of ten, no question. To me, as like a Star Wars product, to me it's like seven and a half out of ten, and that's mainly just because it it. it Similar to you, Jason, I know like the things that excite me about Star Wars just are a little bit absent from the show. Um, And what I mean by that Mm -hmm. is like a level of kind of fun escapism that that's not what the show is about. And that's fine. I think what it's aiming for, it does perfectly. But what my personal taste in Star Wars is just is somewhat lacking from the show. So it's purely a subjective thing, right? When we rank these things, it's based on our own subjective uh, perspectives. Uh, So... I could not belittle the show at all because it's absolutely brilliant, um, but is it my favorite kind of star wars? definitely not um and I think that's so very okay uh because I think for so many folks um this is this is something they've been waiting for for a long time, and I'm glad they got it um, so yeah I, th- and there's and there's just so much good stuff in this show uh, i think uh i don't I don't think there's been anything in Star Wars that has made me Tear up as much as this has made me cry as much as this has made me think as deeply as much as this, um, and I think that's a credit again to just how brilliant the show is. Um, again, whether or not it's my my favorite kind of Star Wars doesn't. Again, that's a subjective thing, um, you know. And I've I've seen a lot of discourse on this is what all Star Wars should be, and I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Like, just because this is your favorite doesn't mean it should be everything. Um, and and I don't need those pompous talking down your nose comments from some of the folks that are doing that um but i think it's a brilliant show and it's and it's gonna be some people's absolute favorite and it's gonna be some people's just they want to pass on it it's not their favorite and i don't think they should be shamed for that and I, i've seen too much of that that's that's also what annoyed me early on was just all the kind of people talking down their nose it's like oh if you don't like it it's because you don't get art or you don't get this and it's like listen jerk. <laughs> like People are allowed to have their preferences without you shaming them. So, uh, so I think from the get-go, I was, kind of, like, I was kind of in defensive mode because I get really annoyed when people try to tell you that you're wrong for what you like or what you don't like. Um, and there was a lot of that in the early days. And I think um, when you just let a show be what it is and let people accept it where they're at, that's a better way to approach art um, rather mm-hmm. than lording it over
0: others. For me, you know, it's a 99 out of 100 show, right? Mm-hmm. But I think I, I mean, I, I definitely agree that not all Star Wars has to be like this. I see those same comments and I, every time I cringe a little bit, like, yeah. it's like, just like the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I, there's this strategy that, that they are it's a, it's a risky strategy that Lucasfilm is trying that's different than Marvel or something else, where they're trying to say, Star Wars is like a mythology, and we're going to make different facets of it for all kinds of different audiences, from two-year-olds, you, yep. <laughs> you know, to 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 you know uh, PhDs or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, and this is one of those facets, right? And and I I feel like it's a facet they haven't done much before, and that's why a lot of people who it meets their needs are excited about it. But absolutely, like. I w I wanna see more of his, of course, right? But I don't mm. I don't wanna stop seeing, you know, you know, Jedi Temple classes for kids either, yes. right? Like <laughs> it's supposed to be a whole mix, you know? That I think that's a good strategy. So I hope it pays off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 one thing I
1: noticed uh in, in my binge watch the last uh day and a half is that almost no one smiles in this show. Like mm. I, I think you could probably count the smiles on in the entire show on the genuine smiles, not like the, the wry ones or the sarcastic ones or the ones that people put on as a mask, like at you know, Mon Mothma's parties, you know, but like the genuine smiles, I think you could probably count on one hand in this show. Um, like nobody laughs, nobody smiles, uh, seriously or genuinely, uh, in this show. And I think, um, you know, and that's fine. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very well-crafted drama. Uh, but i i like a little bit of levity and a little bit of fun and a little bit of action in my star wars and uh this show uh went long stretches without any of that so um that's just a personal preference mm-hmm. but let's you know let's get into stuff that we like uh because there's definitely plenty of stuff in this show i like um where where do we want to start carl um well i'm happy to start because i I'm I'm just gonna.
2: Uh okay. I, I the first thing I really want to highlight is just how brilliantly they, they capture this tone of anxiety for the starting of the rebellion. Um just this this desperation of of trying to actively start an organized rebellion um is something just fraught with tremendous anxiety. And I think we get we get that so much throughout the season that everything they're trying to do, they have to be so careful about. Um, and I think a lot of this is centered around, uh, Mon Mothma's character. Uh, she, she's well aware she's being watched. She knows she has to be careful about everybody she contacts. Um, and people understand that if they're going to get invested in this rebellion, they have to be so careful because the empire is such a threat. um, and and I think about everything that they they're they're coming up against, and and I, the thing I loved most about some of the stuff with Mon Mothma is the level of apathy she has to deal with in the Senate. You know, every single scene we get of her in the Senate arena, uh, the Senate chambers. You know, you have people talking in the background, you have people turning off their lights in their pods, people just walking out. Right there's this tremendous amount of apathy to the people in power. And, and Mon is out there giving these impassioned speeches, these impassioned, uh, you know, I'm blanking on words, doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, everything she has to say falls on deaf ears. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you feel this desperation from her. And and then you get a character like Luthen, who has to live a double life, who has to put on this this storefront uh, smiling salesman image in order to conceal what he's actually doing behind the scenes. Um, and, and and I just, I love the brilliance of that. Um, and, uh, you know, for somebody like, uh, for Luthen especially, I think one of the most chilling scenes um, for Luthen that I really enjoyed is, I believe it's in uh, episode seven, which is right after the Aldani um, heist has been successful and Mon goes to him and basically says like do you realize what you've started like the Empire is going to crack down they're not going to be okay with this and he's like exactly that's exactly what I wanted I want them to overreact I want them to suppress people I want them to kill people and it's not like he it's not like he's excited that people are going to suffer but he wants to shake people out of the apathy that Mon is dealing with every single day and for somebody like Luthen he understands that the way to go about that isn't to address the Senate because they don't care. It's to scare the hell out of people. Um, So yeah, that's, that's the real big, that's the first thing that really grabs me about how, how smart this show is, is, you know, if if you've just watched the original trilogy, the rebellion just seems like this really optimistic endeavor, but in a show like this, you're shown in its early days, it's a very dangerous game to be playing.
0: I feel like you've keyed on the the Coruscant rebels, which is mm. interesting. Like it's a new cat, is a category you can say now for <laughs> that wasn't really there before. That is, they are not. They are very powerful and doing big things. They are not as in touch with the situation as as other people are in the Outer Rim and stuff, right? Mm. So Mom <coughs> Mothma, I think, is really interesting the way she says it here, because she is not a perfect character. She's got a lot of flaws, right? She's not she's not moving things forward enough. If she was just doing things on her own, it seemed like no progress was really going to be happening. Um, and Luthan obviously has his flaws, too. But neither of them are know what's happening on Ferex, right? When we see Luthan at the end, he's kind of blown away. By what's happening on Ferrex, like it, he mm-hmm. was not expecting this. It kind of messes up his plans for the day, uh, but he loves it, you know. But neither of like same thing with Mamatha. She doesn't know what's going on in all these worlds and you know in the galaxy, right? It, mm-hmm. She she has got these big ideals, as does Luthen. Um, but I think it's kind of cool that we got that. This is the kind of first time we see the difference between like here's the here's the Coruscant rebellion. And here's the rebellion on the ground as a difference. Mm.
1: Yeah. And, and it, it, it makes me realize what a, an inspired and uh, impassioned and unifying person Princess Leia must be for the rebels mm-hmm. um, because she's the one that gets a, both of it. She gets all of it yeah. and, manages to find a way to get everybody wrapped you know and i'm sure mon mon will too mon will get it eventually by the time she gets to rebels uh you know she's she's on that track um but you know finally they get to the point where it's like all right now now that we're not just individual pockets and you know at that later time and we're an alliance we can actually have a message of hope and a message that's Inspiring, in addition to being able to try and push back against the Empire. But right now, it's all just fractured, uh, you know, partisan groups and factions and, you know, everyone, each group is suspicious of the other because no one knows if, you know, the other group has been infiltrated, if the other group is even uh, rebels as they claim. You know, obviously we see that with Saw. Uh, His anxiety and paranoia is uh, is understandable, you know, and we saw that, you know, on display in rogue one, we saw it in rebels and you can understand how he got to that point by just the environment that the, the rebels are in right now. And the fact that, you know, he has to deal with people like Luthan who for, you know, necessar- necessary reasons, uh, has to keep everyone in the dark and has to make sacrifices that nobody likes. Um, so, and and that's the interesting thing is is rebellions, you know, rebellions might be built on hope, but sometimes what lays the foundation for rebellion is the sacrifice of an entire, you know, group of of rebels mm-hmm. all at once. You know, is we that's kind of the big point. Anto Krieger and his oh, band cool. are just sacrificed; they're on the chopping block just to keep everyone else safe and secret. So. Uh, which is a terrible choice that they have to make. Uh, And it's fascinating to watch everybody go through the process of making that choice. Uh, I'm glad that I don't have to make that kind of choice. (laughs) Because I don't know what I would do in that situation. But,
0: um, yeah. The stress I've had coming on this show is I could just spend the entire episode just talking about Mon Mothma and there's so much to talk about. <laughs> but I think my motivation is to get things back to the way they were just before the Phantom Menace, right? Mm. That That's her goal. She wants to restore the Republic, the old Republic. And she's like, everything worked for me then, so let's get that back to where it was. And it's an interesting arc because I think part of what Star Wars is saying is you can't really go back that way because the new Republic which is mom, which is really her creation doesn't work. Mm. Like, and, and honestly, she doesn't know this because she's out of touch, but the old Republic wasn't working for most of the galaxy either, mm. which is, you know, was part of the problem. So her efforts to bring it back are ultimately going to be flawed, but it's like the rebels are this group of people who all have different goals, right? The people on Ferrix, they want to get back to something different than like everybody's goals is slightly different, but these, yeah. D- different groups have to pull together to like fight the unity of the empire.
1: Yeah. Mm. You know, saw is just out for chaos and anarchy and lashing out at, at the empire in any way he can. Ferex just wants to kick the empire off, off Ferex. Uh, Mon is trying to restore things to an idealized time. Uh, Luthen is trying to uh, sow the seeds of dissension to dislodge the empire from the galaxy as a whole uh and and everyone is working to their own ends and it's not it's not coming together yet um uh, which is which is why what mon has to do later to form the rebel alliance uh is going to be so important and i'll be curious to see how much of that we get in this show uh so for season two uh well, one of the things I want to bring up – oh, sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say like just thinking about timing of the show, like when it, when it lands in the timeline. Um, Luthen makes a comment uh, when he gives that very powerful monologue to the guy who's a spy for him in the ISB. Um, he talks about how for the last f- 15 years he's been plotting this, which would imply to me that this is five years before a new hap. A New Hope in 15 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith, um, which Mm -hmm. seemed to probably land. I still don't know when Rebels is supposed to lie in comparison to A New Hope. I think that's also supposed to be around, like, I don't know. This is the thing is, especially if Dave Filoni is like, involved, that, that jerk doesn't pay any attention to timelines. He just does what the hell he wants. So sorry to all you Dave uh, Filoni stands. He's not it's perfect. Like,
0: it's like a high school show. It's like four years long or something. Every yeah. Person. Every yeah. season, year. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I
1: think the first season is like, you know, four years before A New Hope. So um, and then season two is three years. Season three is two years. Season four is one year, you know, kind okay. of thing. I think. Well, I know um, I know
2: they've said that season two of Andor, so where the show will eventually wrap, is supposed to wrap, like, moments before Rogue One begins. So they've right. got a lot of ground to cover in season
0: two. Season two, I think they're saying each of the arcs are going to be, there's going to be big time gaps between okay.
2: each of them. Oh, God, it's going to be like House of the Dragon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. So I think they're going to hit, like, key moments. Like, it's going to be, like... Four little movies or whatever of key moments during the rebellion. Yeah.
1: Well, we'll see how that all works out. Um, I'm very curious to see what happens in season two. Uh, but one of the things I will say that they developed very well and that I'm very, very keen on in season one is the ISB, mm. um, Imperial Security Bureau, and, you know, a lot of the characters involved in that. Uh, I, I like getting to see, um, the the ISB you know how they're established how they're working uh, and uh, Deidre Miro the supervisor uh, she's a fantastic character I think she's one of my favorite characters in the show uh, and uh, her her ambition and her drive to find answers at all costs um, is a very interesting thing to to watch. Um, because it 's something that you know the the motivation you know is is not necessarily a bad one she 's just allied with the wrong side, so she just wants to find answers she wants to keep people safe, uh but she 's allied with the empire, you know which is puts her on the wrong side of all of this uh and she 's trying to find the bigger fish to 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 keep things as they are currently uh and and everyone is trying to make a statement in the way that they handle some of these big things. She, she always says, I need someone alive. Uh, she says that several times. And more often than not, the people that she wants alive end up dead. Uh, and she, she makes that very clear that, that that's not the way to get the answers that she wants, um, which, is, which is kind of uh, funny. But I think she's been a fascinating character watch. And I'd be very curious to see what happens to her in season two because ostensibly she failed on Ferrex at the end of this season. You know, uh, the the whole blow-up there in the, the capital in the city there is did not go well for the Empire. They may have ended up coming out on top, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, once they used you know Deadly Force. But they lost Andor. Uh a bunch of the the instigators of the the fight there the the riot uh escaped uh she got had to be saved by a creep um <laughs> who was stalking her uh, <laughs> uh, and and it just did not go well so i'm very curious to see if she will be punished for that if there will be you know some leniencies because everything else that she had been doing had been going well. For her, I'm very curious to see where she starts season two. Um, I I think Major Partagaz, who's another character I like, um, I think he has uh, a a fondness for the the way that she's doing things. But I don't see him to be the the type to make an exception in circumstances like this. So, uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see where she's going to end up because her whole world was was you know going up and up and up she was rocketing to the top she was you know rising star and now the bottom fell out uh at the end there and i'm just curious to see how that's going to uh impact not only her position within the isb but just impact how she does things moving forward because if she does end up you know dropping back down to the bottom of the heap uh she might just become more uh aggressive and, and a lot more like uh you know a lot more ruthless in order to climb back up to the top so i'm very curious to see what her trajectory will be um uh, but yeah the isb has been a fascinating part of the show for me and one i've always really liked because uh it it just looks fantastic it looks so imperial mm. <laughs> so
0: in in episode uh one oh three, like or sorry, episode three of season one, um <laughs> uh Cassian talks about um they don't even look at us, right? They don't even mm. they don't even consider us a problem. And 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 or and sorry, uh, Luthen says that thing, like their arrogance is remarkable, isn't it? They don't even think about us. Um and that's uh that's her problem, right? She's created this whole like she doesn't consider the people of Ferex to be a threat mm-hmm. at all. She's like, get, put them in a box, give them whatever they want, who cares? She's gonna get Cassian, and then she's gonna get uh, Luthen. Yeah. Doesn't see it coming at all, like completely blindsided. And even Luthen's kind of blindsided by it too, but it's, I think that's kind of a interesting theme with her. Uh, and she see gets what, so fixated. it. Yeah and see if next in in the future if she has the opportunity if she's now understands a little bit differently uh what the threat to her is from the rebellion mm.
1: yeah the she was more worried and more aware of backstabbing within the ISB than the common man and woman uh of Ferrix so you know she she definitely was so fixated and and focused in on Andor and and Luthen that she missed missed all the signs of of resentment fomenting into something more palpable, uh, <laughs> and paid for it almost with her life. So uh, we'll see we'll see how that affects her moving forward.
2: Yeah, she she is a. A really interesting character and I think what stands out to me about her um, is that whenever there's these ISB meetings she seems to be the only female in the room Um, and she seems to be very uh, inflicted by kind of the gross misogyny of the room Uh, because she herself is really no better than any of the rest of them um and her drive to get to the top uh i would push back that it's 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 really not a good thing at all because she's willing to do anything like torture people uh like she she's she's evil like there's no question about it That's in my true. book like she's an evil character um and whether or not she started there we don't know because we don't know her backstory but she's clearly i think i think what i appreciate about her character is she shows us that she's willing to play the game no matter how despicable the game is. And she's willing to make herself despicable in order to play the game. Um, so not only and not only play
1: it but play it well
2: yeah she's <laughs> really good at it um you know when she's got that showdown with i think is, is his name blevin ben you're you're much better at remembering character yeah. names yeah the, Blevin. Yep. the one who's you know she they kind of like are sparring for a bit at the big the first few episodes I and mean, then she wins the sp-
0: she wins he shows the- up again in the last episode i was i was surprised yeah. that he disappeared and there he was at the end yeah surprise.
2: i don't i don't know the name of the actor because i didn't take the time to, to look him up but he's in he's got a very small cameo role in one of of my favorite British comedies called The Inbetweeners, um, he shows up in one episode as like a on-the-side drug dealer, and he, his character is just hilarious. Um, so when I saw him show up in andrew I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this guy. He's in The Inbetweeners, uh, which again is just a, a very off-color British comedy. Um, but uh, yeah, I love that they have this spar, and and she wins because she's more ambitious. He's more, you know, he's he's so focused on just bringing her down, whereas she is actually focused on winning the game. Um, you know who that
0: sounds like?
2: Who? Krennic?
0: Orson credit. <laughs> 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 the greatest character in Star Wars. <laughs> oh, so one man. Of the is he speaks with uh, he speaks with uh, Ben Mendelsohn spoke with more like close to his own accent. So kind of mm. modified it, but kind of an Australian accent. And what he said is he did that because he doesn't fit in. He's like a middle in British terms, I guess. He's like a middle class guy who's trying to make it with all of these imperial officers who are trained at Eton and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have the same accent as like Graham Moff Tarkin. And he doesn't know this, but he's never going to be a member of the club. Mm. Right. Right. Uh, mm, and I think he wants it,
1: she, to be. Yeah,
0: right. But he's super ambitious and he pushes forward and succeeds when he shouldn't. And she's kind of this, she's got that similar thing. It, for her, mm. it does seem like they do definitely seem to set it up for us that it's because for her, it's because she's a woman, right? All the other Imperial officers are, or ISB officers are, are men. And so she's the outsider in this club. And it's the same I, kind of thing. Like she's pushing forward. Yeah.
1: I will say there was one other female officer at the beginning when they had like the full meeting, the full uh, ISB council, supervisory council. There, there was one other woman, but she was kind of mealy mouthed and, and definitely not out. as <laughs> as driven as Deidre Miro was. So it's the game, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, well.
2: We've gone back and forth here a little bit, Jason and I. Ben, what's what's something from the show that you particularly really loved?
0: <clears throat> well, let's. All right, I have a episode that I love that I think is close to the bottom of most people's list. But um, is it episode two? I yeah, I love oh. the Axe forgets. Oh, it's that's, that's uh, a good episode five. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's a very, I'm really into character development, sometimes even over plot Mm. in not just Star Wars, but in anything. And the Axe Forgets is just full of these, introducing these characters. And uh, you mentioned, Carl, there's this anxiety that the Rebellion just isn't capable yet. And this group of rebels um, on on Aldani are... (laughs) are hopeless sometimes mm-hmm. it seems like right like one of them's an ex-stormtrooper you know uh most of them have never seen any you know done this anything like this before they've been there for nine months trying to do this one job and and when cassian comes in they're asking him something about how how the how to launch the the transport and he's like Wait, you don't know. <laughs> You've been here working on, You're about to do this thing, and you don't even know how to launch the ship out yet. And it's Bell's like reaction is so funny because she's just kind of like, just answer the question. <laughs> right? <And she's> like, <laughs> well, we would have figured it out, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and 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 so just seeing all this different. And so um, Nemec in particular is one of mm. my uh, favorites with his uh, with his manifesto that ends up being significant, but um he, definitely out of his depth in this situation mm-hmm. not philosophically but he's out of mm-hmm. his depth in all other ways um yes and just seeing this the, the interaction of the different characters and and these all these like I said all these small characters who and who the revolution or the rebellion is not going to work without them even though they died <laughs> early on i love that stuff right like any one of them you could say if you take them out of the picture the whole uh story falls apart mm. you know and you, you don't've never even heard of them but you take them out of the picture and the whole story falls apart that that's I think the theme that I love in this mm. show in general is all of these small characters who build up and you feel like they're really happening all over the galaxy is just ones we're meeting there's probably other ones happening on all sorts of other planets but these are just ones we're meeting and I, I just to me it's like a very inspiring story because I always like, The idea that everybody in Star Wars, everybody in the world, in our world, has the potential to have this impact, right? Uh, When I was a kid, I used to think the Force was something that everybody could have. That's why I would try to focus and see if I could, like, move the salt shaker closer to me, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because it's the potential in everybody. And that's the thing that I really, uh, I think this this kind of story brings up for me, Mm. if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah no that makes sense and i i do like your slip of the tongue calling it a revolution rather than a rebellion because a lot of the stuff in the the early days reminds me of the early days of like the american revolution like historically yeah. so i i will say that's that's that slip of the tongue is just about perfect so for for the description of, of a lot of these characters and situations so that's great but, and i think something that's
2: all always been present in Star Wars is our love of minor characters, right? Characters that kind mm. of pop in and out. And and I think Andor does this a little bit differently, right? Like, like I think of a character like Wedge or or Hobby or any of the Rogue Squadron pilots or, you know, any of these characters we see for a few moments. Um, Panaka even, you know, uh, these kind of more side characters that we we just in ver- inevitably fall in love with. I think Cassian does or not Cass, Andor does that brilliantly because not only does it give us all these multiple side characters, but they're also so fleshed out, Um, right? Like uh, we love somebody like Jack Porkins just because we love the name and he's fun to watch for the 10 seconds he's on screen. But we don't know anything about him. We know nothing about his motivations. Andor gives us really great characters who have tremendous impact and have a level of being fleshed out. Um, And, you know, I think that's something that is so brilliant about this show is is everyone has a motivation and and to your point Ben I think something andor does a beautiful job with is showing how in these early days of the rebellion it really does take these very disparate types of people and brings them together under the common cause of freedom, this pure cause, as Nemec calls it, right? You know, that there's something just it, it on the frontier of freedom. There are p- constantly people being recruited without even knowing it, and I think Andor is fleshing that out so beautifully. Um, yeah, I absolutely love that yeah, part.
0: Melshi, Melshi a beautiful example of that. Like you mentioned, uh, Wedge and Porkins, and I think Melshi in Rogue One. It's probably somewhere in between the two of those mm. two in far as like how big his role is. But it's still someone mm. who some people, like with every all small character stars, some people love this one small character and suddenly Melshi's here with a whole story, a whole yeah. backstory and a role to play in
1: the show. I think that's a great example. Yeah. Carl was very happy to see Melshi in the show.
2: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's so he's so good. Um well, I, I'm just going to – I'm going to dive then into that, for, kind of springboarding off this. I think one of my other favorite elements of the show is just the way that these these side characters, that these kind of inadvertent allies of Cassian play a huge part in his journey towards rebellion. Um, and, you know, Nemec is one of the first characters that really stands out to me um, in that regard is, is he is somebody who – he provides this really pure sensibility about what this revolution really means about what it means to stand up to the empire. Um, and I think he helps make sense of this work for Cassian. Um, and it's just so good. Uh, the way that everybody Cassian interacts with along the way impacts the way in which, um, he's going to interact with his, you know, with with this rebellion moving forward, um, and uh, you know, I think again, like Nemec is is the first one that really stands out, but then you think of Kino, Kino Loy, you know, Andy Circus's character, and it, I think a character like that also shows us how Cassian also has an impact on these other characters. Um, you know, it, it, it's so wonderful. Uh, I, I love that scene in episode 10, which to me is the best, nah, I shouldn't say the best cause that's subjective. My favorite episode for sure of Andor is episode 10, one way out. I think it is, I think it is one of the most brilliant Star Wars things I've ever seen, period. <laughs> um, and for Cassian to kind of argue to Kino, like, you know, I'd rather die trying to, keep them from what they want, or I can't remember the exact quote. Um, Die I,
1: trying to escape then to give them what they want or th- something like yeah, that. Yeah,
2: something along those lines. And then Keno then uses those same words when he's giving his speech. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's indicative to when Cassian says to Jin in Rogue One, you know, rebellions are built on hope. And then she uses that later on in her speech. It, it's this reminder that that Cassian is an open and enough character that while there's, a, there's certainly a stubbornness to him, there's also an openness to him, and and I think his willingness to hear what others have to say then allows him to be heard by others. Um, right one one of the one of the kind of overarching themes throughout the show is you know nobody's listening. Are you listening? Who's hearing me? Is anybody listening? Right and um, and, and of course that that uh, is all beautifully surmised at the end of Rogue One when Cassian says to Jin, "Do you think anybody's listening?" right it's it's this idea of do people see us do people see what we're doing do we matter um and i think a show like this is a reminder that everyone who's thrown their work into the work of revolution matters everything they say everything they do matters um and uh, i i texted ben earlier when i was rewatching some of the episodes um the the episode uh i believe it's episode Ooh, seven yeah episode seven um which is when cassian kind of runs away from it all and he's on uh Naimos, however the heck you say that that beautifully looking beach planet <laughs> um yes right before he goes off to the market uh the the woman he's been uh playing around with um she says to him because she's talking to him and he's only half listening she goes Cassian, are you listen? Or she doesn't call him Cassian because he gives her a fake name, but she says, are you listening? And that's the last thing oh. that is said to him before he's, you know, in, in unjustly arrested. Um so I just I love this this theme of this early rebellion where people really really are concerned as with does does what we do matter? Um and I think that's a really important question, because, again, like, you know, you hinted at this earlier, Ben, but this is this is a show for our times. It's intentionally so. Um, Tony Gilroy has been very upfront about that. Um, and I think when when we see works of oppression constantly happening in our world, when people are standing up against that, you can't help but wonder, does it ma- Does it matter? Do I matter? Is, is what I'm doing? important? Does it make a difference? in a show like this is trying to say that, yes, even on, even on the simplest ways, anybody who stands up to oppression matters, you know, what you do matters. So I, I really love that theme kind of
1: permeated throughout Andor. Yeah. And I, sorry. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is, is obviously, you know, we know that it matters. You know, the, the, we, the audience know that it matters because we know how it all ultimately pays off. Um, the characters have no idea. Uh, and many of them are, are doing things that, you know, are, are, they're sacrificing in, you know, as Luthen says, uh, when he confronts Lonnie young, uh, who's his mole in ISB, uh, he has sacrificed everything. Uh, and Lonnie is, is having to essentially put on a mask every single day, to pretend to be someone, pretend to uh you know be you know gung ho about finding Anto Krieger and taking out his cell and all this stuff um and who's worried about how his new family is going to affect him moving forward, and if you know if what he is doing in helping the rebels uh matters enough given his new situation as a father. Uh, and just everything that he's having to do on a daily basis and the fact that you know uh you know a character like luthen as you said has sacrificed everything and will sacrifice you know others uh in order to you know to hopefully ultimately succeed uh and none of these characters have any idea you know even if their convictions say yes this does matter they have no idea if it really does you know they they're they're sacrificing so much and Mon Mothma is getting ever closer to the point of going over that precipice of no return where she's going to have to start actively acting on this stuff and can't just play the, the kind of oblivious Senator anymore. Um, So it's, it's very interesting how all of these characters are very much wondering and, you know, we know we know it matters if we see it matter you know on the larger scale but none of the characters have any idea if it matters and they have to have their faith in either the cause uh in the people around them or just like saying a prayer and say i hope somebody cares someday about this uh you know and and go from there and many of them struggle with the fact that you know does it even matter and Contemplate leaving. Like obviously, I said Lana Young. Um, what's his name? The uh, I'm blanking on uh the guy who was gonna split all the money with Cassian after the Aldani no. mission. Skank.
2: Uh, no, nope, not skank,
1: but what? Skeev. <laughs> what's his name, Ben? Skeev.
0: Skeen. Skeen. Yeah. Skeen.
1: Skeen. Okay, yeah. Skeen. yeah. Skeen, Skeen, yeah. yeah. Skeen, yes. Skeen. He sucks. Yeah. Skeen. You know he. Ske- <laughs> He was gonna, you know, he's like, does it matter? I don't know, but I got enough money to make it matter for me, and now I'm out. Uh, so, you know, the, there's, there's all these different motivations, and you're right, Carl, in the fact that this series is all about the people that end up impacting Cassian, and the people that Cassian ends up impacting. Uh, and And it's great to be able to see that you know transition from everyone feeding into Cassian at you know the first half of the show to seeing the people that Cassian is starting to have an impact on the second half of the season so um I think
0: that's a great point mm-hmm. I'd love to give a special shout out to um Marva andor for that mm-hmm. um, I think she um like as being a parent, I thought she was a very moving uh, character. Um, also, as being a son, <laughs> when I first saw Marva, I was like, um, I said that she reminded me of my mom. Right, yeah. and and uh, and uh, there's a whole speech when they were leaving. I thought that was very emotional. And I told my mom she should watch it. And then and then she started to recline, which made the whole thing like very connected for me right like Mm -hmm. (laughs) i could kind of like as if it was happening more to me and i i think one of the things a good story like this like a star wars story like does is it brings you back to a time that was very dramatic for you when so and for cassian he doesn't like the way that he left the relationship with his mom right Mm -hmm. like he didn't say the right things at the end and i think Lots of people uh, have experienced this, right? And then the like—that's what makes a beautiful, so story. That that the story that the words that come back to her, to him, from her through Brasso, you know, that tell him he already knows everything he needs to know and feels everything he needs to feel. Like uh, it's—it's such a great speech, and it also just shows how there's—we have faith in this other generation that they're going to. They're going to figure. Some, they're going to figure things out, and similarly, or the past generation has had faith in us that we're going to figure things out. And if, even if they didn't see us do it, they know that we're going to do it. They know that we'll pull together and become an unstoppable force for good. I, I, mm. I think that that part is a core a kind of great theme of the show as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And
2: good. Good. Uh, well, I just I love your your perspective of that buy in of uh, like I like that that lens of Cassian is kind of riddled with this guilt initially because of how he left things with Marva. Um, and that is not the way he wishes he he had ended it. Um, but, of course, wasn't expecting that wasn't expecting that to be the end. You know, even when he leaves. Um, and, and, you know, she, she understands that he has to move on, that this is not where he's going to stay. And she's okay. And she's like, I don't judge you. Like, I'm not judging you for that. You got to go do what you have to do, but I'm done. I'm, I'm staying here and I'm going to, I'm going to commit to this other thing. Um, but still, even as he leaves, he says, well, I'll come back, you know, I, and who knows, maybe he's got to go clear his head or I don't know if he's thinking, well, maybe she'll get it out of her system. I don't know what he's thinking. But his hope is that this would not be his last conversation with her. Um, and and it sadly is. Uh, but he gets that beautiful moment with
0: Brasso. Yeah. Go, sorry. You were going to say something, Ben. Sorry. Just the flip side of it, which I think shows that, uh, you know, things aren't perfect. <laughs> In the first episode, B2 says... Well, Marva said, "You are ruining your health and reputation with friends of low character." <laughs> <laughs> where, her take on Cassian at the beginning of this show. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, well, uh, he's he's starting to find friends of good character. Well, at least yeah. of good intentions. Um, I'm not going to say Luthen has good character, yeah, uh, right, right. but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he, he's starting to change. <laughs>
2: Something I appreciate about both Luthan and Kino um, is that they are both characters that ultimately commit to revolution, even with the understanding that they may not see the fruits of it, Um, which is, I think, one of the most important themes of Rogue One, right? is fighting for a future you yourself will not see, Um, something a lot of our politicians seem to often forget about. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know... For Luthen, he he already understands that. Luthen understands that in that great you know little speech he gives to um, Mr. Mustache um, and you Bonnie Young. Yeah, sure. He's so forgettable. Um, so uh, sorry, you two. I know you like him, but I'm just bitter because I can't grow a mustache. Um, so, uh, but uh, but you know he he understands that everything he's doing, everything he's laying down is for a future he knows he won't get to enjoy. And he seems to have made his peace with that. Um, but I think for Kino, I, I, I find Kino to be a far more interesting character. And that's mainly because we've gotten his full arc, right? We're, we're going to get more Luthan in season two. So a, a little premature to make that comparison. But Kino's full arc is ultimately somebody who has kept his head down. Whatever, I'm stuck in this place. I'm just going to do what I need to do to get out of here. But then when the truth becomes you know uh, apparent to him that the truth is you're not getting out of here he commits to this act of revolution with this understanding that he may not he may not understand what it's if he'll be on the other side and right I, i've loved the conversation ever since episode 10 came out around you know does keno make it out does he not make it out and and of course tony gilroy has said well we don't see him die so he's obviously not dead right so he he's left it open that he 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 is alive, whether or not he gets off the prison itself is, you know, still up for for debate, I imagine. But all the same, when he gets out there. Right. And most people have said, like, he knows that there's a there's he would have to swim in order to escape. I, I don't fully buy that. I don't think he knows everything like that. I think some people are, are a little foolish with that that supposition. Um, I mean, there could have been but, boats. Right. Exactly. Or ships or transports of yeah. some kind. But all that to say, when yeah. he gets out there, it doesn't. I don't think there's any sense of bitterness from him. I think he still is riding off of that sweet sense of release of we did it. We got out. And even if that doesn't mean I get to go live a fruitful, wonderful life, at least I got out of this hellhole. Um, and I, and I, I love that that's a notion that's going to clearly embed itself into Cassian by, by throwing himself into committing to a future he may never see
1: yeah i was i was always very you know very curious to see what might happen to Kino. you know whether or not he ends up just staying there on the prison whether after the camera you know follows cassian into the water maybe you know maybe eventually Kino jumps in and risks it you know even though he can't swim maybe maybe he tries for the first time you know i who knows um uh, either here's the thing is with Kino either option is equally possible with Kino Loy. Uh he could have, you know, just been like, "No, I'm going to I'm going to go back and and try and uh make things work here in the prison, um uh, or he might have just been like, "Screw it. I'm only going to get this one chance," especially after that speech he gave. So uh he'll try and maybe somebody else helped him swim you know who knows uh he he was the one who gave the speech so somebody might have cared for him enough to help him swim obviously cassian probably would have if he hadn't been knocked off the edge so um but yeah i think it's it's a
0: mercy from tony gilroy that we don't see it i think in tony gilroy's world you galaxy you know maybe five percent of those prisoners survived the rest of that day and maybe 1% got off the planet mm. so but yeah. not knowing means you have hope right they could have made it right
1: so. exactly I mean there was that ship flying around you know Cassian and, and Melshi as they were clinging to the cliff you know it's yeah. entirely possible that was a ship that was picking up some of the prisoners that made it to shore so right. mm-hmm. um yeah. mm and that's and why they were
0: something hiding on, something on uh young I, I, that struck me in the last episode he's the one who they make a point of him telling uh mentioning a couple times that everyone was killed in krieger's group mm-hmm. um and that deidre is upset about it and you know but she's somebody somebody's talking her down but it made me think i i wonder if young's if in Set it up a little bit, encouraged it, this the situation that everybody would be killed in Keegar's group because that's what's better for the rebellion. If any yeah. of them survive, it blows the cover. Uh, it could potentially blow the cover of other parts of the rebellion. So, um, it's like a, a little thing. Like for him, going from like it, he should it. They should just cancel. The, like they should warn them off and not tell him anything. And then in this, he's just like they're all dead, and. Mm-hmm probably he knows it's for the best for him and for the rebellion that they're all dead. Yeah,
1: probably. Yeah. Um, the he... other interesting thing I noticed on this watch through with him is that in his first scene, uh, he was being reprimanded for having, uh, was it low incarceration rates? Uh, like low quotas uh, on his right. systems. Uh, and I, that, you know, only was impactful and made sense after I realized that he was working with the rebels. Um, it's like, Oh, he's not enforcing the, these, right. These as, as harshly as, uh, someone like Deidre would. So, um, I, I thought that was, that was an interesting thing and something that he's going to have to change a little bit now that he's under more scrutiny. So, yeah. Um, the, the
2: uh, uh, Darn it. I had a thought that I really wanted to interject, and I forgot what it was. So I'm just going to make a different one. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I do want to mention, I think, one of my absolute favorite things about Andor is just showing us how real and scary the Empire is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, again, Andor is a very different type of Star Wars story, you know, uh, Ben, you know, our, our pal Greg made a great point early on when the show has only been out for a couple of episodes that, you know, he was just so impressed that this was Star War, uh, this was an adult Star Wars show, but not in that fan bro sense of like, brutality and lots of murder. Greg made the great point of being adult means nuanced and character depth and and intelligent storytelling. And, and I think what Andor does so well is it is, it is this, this adult sensibility that what makes the empire so scary is not that they go around just hacking people up or, or murdering people willy nilly. But I think the thing that made the empire the scariest is actually the episode where Cassian gets arrested for just standing there Mm -hmm. Right. He just Mm -hmm. walking by and he's immediately accosted by this shore trooper and, you know, is (laughs) is told that he's going to be arrested for doing literally nothing. Um, You know, I think that was the element that really made me afraid of the Empire because there's nothing he can do. Right. He doesn't he doesn't get a lawyer. He doesn't get any sort of due process. He's just brought in given some trumped up charges and then told he's being uh, he's going to be arrested you know in prison for six years and he literally yeah. did nothing i think that that particular scene and just how, how scary it was it's like oh my god this this empire is terrifying this
0: shows resonated with a lot of people because they feel like their experiences in this world are one. Mm-hmm. you know i I think that's one of those things, right? Uh, it, I think it's, I, I don't know. This, my uh, my wife's just telling me she falls in love of uh, things about bail, right? And, and uh, there was just somebody who, there, there, there was a murder case against them. It got dismissed in one hour. So very weak case. They got released in one hour after the case. They'd been in prison for seven years waiting for their trial. So those numbers from Cassian, not unrealistic to a lot of people in this mm. country. You know, they yeah. didn't commit the crime. It was obvious as soon as they got to a court. It was seven years after they have been arrested. It's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's part of the reason they, the show impacts a lot of people is they're like, yeah, it's telling like not just the truth about the empire, but the truth about the world.
2: Mm. Yeah, it, that's a great point, Ben, because I was talking about the show with... I started like a small Star Wars club at work with with some students and one of the students brilliantly shared with me a few, you know, about halfway through the season um, that what they really appreciated about Andor was the fact that it it was showing um, people that have typically been on the margins of our society as being kind of the main characters. And part of what keeps them on the margins is the fact that there's this empire purposely (laughs) keeping them there. Um, and they just made a great point of like, "I love seeing this part of my own story in Star Wars, right because it 's never really been there before uh and you know i I just it it 's great when you see that there when when uh when they have the courage to tell a story like that um it's it's just <laughs> you know when when people confess that like, oh my God, I love seeing this and not right not even to mention just the fact that. Diego Luna being the star of the show, the amount of, you know, Latinx folks in, in the country were like, I just love seeing Diego Luna be the star of a Star Wars show. Uh it, how can how can that not like make you happy that Star Wars is becoming more inclusive of its fan base? Like I you you love to see it. And the folks that don't love to see it, they're the problem. <laughs> um so it's plain and simple. They're they're in line with the Empire. So um Yeah, I I, I think I think that aspect of Andor um, sometimes very subtly, sometimes very in your face. Um, It's 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 trying to make a point um, that this is a story that they feel is worth telling. Um, And I think that's that's courageous. That's very courageous.
0: We're close to the end of the episode, so I'll bet something that I don't like about that, that I don't love about Andor. So hopefully, most people stop listening by now. <laughs> but uh, it, it, I think it's something that you guys would resonate with. It's not. I think the creators of the show have admitted they're not giant Star Wars fans themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's and people have joked. The thing that's great about it is you know you see these characters at any moment. Jar Jar Binks could walk around the corner and start talking to one of them. So I just would love to have seen a little bit more mm. of that connectivity. You know, Carl and I are both obsessed with they should include more recognizable alien species in yes. these newer mm-hmm. shows <laughs> instead of just inventing new ones all the time. But, Absolutely. you know, I, I, stuff like that, just bringing in a little bit of stuff like that, I, you know, I, you see tiny bits of it, you know, like they mention uh, different planets and stuff. That's Pablo Hidalgo's Hidden influence right but just i I think they really could have done something i don't i don't want to be one of those things where it's a small galaxy and everybody needs everybody so harrison doula has to show up or whatever Mm. not that i would mind but you know i i would love to see just some things that at least showed i don't know this visual connection or something to the rest of star wars i i
1: agree 100 percent. you know carl and i have talked you know about this with with many of the the Disney Plus shows uh, that that we just need a, uh, an extra rodian or twilek in there at some <laughs> point you know just put somebody in there that we've seen before
0: um the, show, the whole senate chamber yes. right put them in this giant room yeah. they only have to I, be like 10 pixels tall they could put a 10 pixel tall jar jar binks everybody would be like look look it's the same guy right, right.
1: exactly <laughs> or, you know corn <laughs> free ta you know well oh, <laughs> he's, he's dead at this point i think um uh thanks to to bad batch um but you know i i would have loved to have seen masameda he he's kind of like Mentioned the Vizier is mentioned, yeah. uh, which is Masameda, and of course Sly Moore was mentioned. Yeah, uh, and she I was, was sure
0: we would see Sly Moore at that big cocktail party. Yeah,
1: but no, <laughs> no. no In the background, no.
0: it would've been awesome. Yeah, yeah, it would have been great. You know, <laughs> they, they
1: mentioned some of these things. But we don't see yeah. any of them. Right. Um. Well, that's you know, and, the- and I did notice that a lot of the the references to to things to other Star Wars properties most of them were direct references uh to to rogue one. So they're definitely mm. tying it into rogue one, but they're not overall, I think, uh, except for the slew of Easter eggs that we get in Luthens um gallery, uh most of what we get is not uh related to the the extended world of Star Wars. It's just Rogue One. Um so Uh, which uh, does make it a little bit smaller to me. Um, but uh, And I would have appreciated some of that. And like I said, it doesn't have to be in your face. It doesn't have to be like, oh, let's just have uh, a Jawa walk right up to the camera and (laughs) walk past it, you know, another one of those off-world Jawas. Um, You know, you can just have have something in the background. Uh, uh, But yeah, um, I, I will definitely... Uh, agree with you on that. Uh one of the things that uh that I I didn't particularly enjoy about the series is everything was so slow. Like the whole it was it was slow and it was intense. But, you know, George is famous for, mm-hmm. you know, saying faster more intense. Uh Carl and I talked about this off off mike uh last week I think. Um, but George is famous for saying faster, more intense. The show is intense, but it's slow. Uh, and I feel like there's about two scenes for every major point, every major like plot point, uh, when you could have had just one, uh, especially with Mon Mothma, a lot of Mon Mothma's stuff, uh, takes twice as long opinion than it needs to. You have about two parties or meetings to get, uh, uh the plot to advance for her, um, than than you need. Not to say that I don't... Her plot is interesting. I'm very curious to see where it's going because it's putting her in a corner uh, and she's going to have to make some tough decisions. But I I did feel like, you know, in order to get her more into the show, they doubled the amount of scenes it took to to make those plots happen. uh, And it just slowed things down. So um, I think in general, I, I feel like there needed to be some editing uh, to kind of speed things up a little bit and to keep the energy up uh, a little bit. Although, you know, in, in some certain, uh, some circumstances and others, you don't want to do that because then it's just like, you know, the intensity gets too high for too long. Um, But there were definitely some periods in the show. I felt like could have been trimmed down and could have been one scene rather than two or three. So, Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly been a consistent complaint of mine is that it just it just it is very slow at a lot of points and it. And there are, there are certain places where that works really well. Um, the buildup of the tension, the build up of these these big explosive moments feel more explosive because of that slow burn getting there. Right. Like I, I don't I don't think Episode 10 One Way Out works nearly as well if you didn't have two prior episodes of them in the prison kind of slowly going through the tedium of the workday. That said, I don't really find episodes eight and nine tremendously exciting because of that slower burn. But then, when you get to episode ten, you're like, "Oh my god!" Like it, it's it it just feels so much more earned as a result. Um, so I think I think there there needs I think there could be a better balance. To kind of to your point, Jason, I agree that like. Um, sometimes it is just too slow. Um, and <laughs> to the point I made kind of earlier on in the episode, this is where I do, again, get annoyed with kind of the pretentious, talk down their nose folks who are like, if you think it's slow and boring, it's because you don't understand, again, fill in the blank. And it's just like, yo, shut up. <laughs> like, I didn't come to Star Wars for slow. I came to Star Wars for faster, more intense. So you telling me <laughs> that I don't understand Star Wars, stuff it in a sack. Like, um, <laughs> I, I just get super annoyed by pretentious people that love to tell you how you're supposed to concern consume art um because there's a lot of those talking heads out there and uh um you know so and it's I, all subjective it, it is. really is all subjective like it's so cool if that's like your if that's if that's something you really like cool but like i think star wars has never been that so uh and, and intentionally not been that Um, So to now get that, that's cool if that that jives for you. But it also I think for some folks, it just doesn't work for them. That's not how they consume Star Wars. I will say because of my deep love for this year's movie, The Batman, which is an incredibly slow burn. um, And I love the hell out of that movie in spite of the fact that it's a slow burn. If that movie hadn't come out this year, I don't think I would have liked Andor almost at all. Like I just wouldn't have been able to do the slow burn, but the Batman taught me how to enjoy slow burns. Um, so I appreciate Matt, Matt Reeves giving me something that, uh, that made star Wars better. Um,
1: but, that, uh, that does, that does seem to be like the Hollywood trend. Now at the moment is, is the slow burn kind of shows and movies. I feel like that's kind of a, a you know, a, a, a bit of a trend, uh, these days I've seen more of them do that. So, mm. Yeah. So
0: yeah, back to what we were saying about their their experiment that they're doing is trying Star Wars out in different uh, genres, and this is one where it's about character and setting as much as or more than plot. You know, it's about right, and uh, and yeah, that's not for everybody. It's not for it's not. common in in star wars I, I think what they're my take on it is trying to see this tv is a different medium than the movies and i think you know mm. no, i don't know not not everybody but sometimes the a flaw sometimes that some people have pulled out with some other shows is this that they try to be like a movie right <laughs> whereas the, they're not trying to be like a tv show like something like the sopranos or something you got time, right? Mm-hmm. You got a long time, and that—and that's what they're doing here—is they're trying to say, like, okay, in this different medium, how could we do Star Wars? Um, and, so I don't know. That, I mean, for and, people like me, I—I I love one of the slowest <laughs> damn episodes where they just walk around <laughs> in, in nature <laughs> and, and talk about what, how they got there. So
1: but yeah, I mean, I, and that's totally <laughs> fair. And I I will say that that there's definitely times in this show uh, where that works. You know, for example, the the whole um, stuff on Nakina Five with the the prison. Uh, you know that that build is is done perfectly, uh, and and the stuff that happens. I, I would say the last, uh, you know, from about the time we arrive on the prison to the end of the series. The show is, is – that's the highlight of the show. Like that – for me, that, that's the best part of the this show is those episodes. Um, all, of, all of that coming together and because it – and I think part of it is because the action and the story and the characters all start picking up and coming together. It and died. yeah, it, it all starts moving in the same direction at the same time. And, and we had so much – so much of the early part of this show – Was introducing new people and new things. Um, You know, part of me sometimes wonders if they have a few too many characters to keep track of in this show, because sometimes I forget the show's called Andor, um, because we're talking and visiting so many other people. Um, You know, and that's a a joke,
0: obviously. I I posted the other day, maybe it's named after Marva Andor. I mean, that that's possible.
1: Uh the, the Andor name, the Andor family name, you know, we got Marva, we got Cassian, then Clem, um yeah. who's who does have an impact on the story even though he's dead by the time it really gets going. Um but yeah, uh, there's I I forgot where my what my point was. Um but that's fine. I I I would say that oh, yes, the the first half of the episode, the series, I would say, uh, and a little bit into the, you know, is, is so taken up with having to introduce characters and introduce places and introduce themes and introduce the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And we just, the whole cast of characters and locations and things that we needed to be concerned about kept getting bigger, uh, that we kept having to have introductory episodes, like a quarter of the way into the season. Um, (laughs) And I, I felt like that definitely slowed things down. And now that we're at the point where all of that is established and the story can actually start taking over, um, I think I think that's where I'm going to get more invested and why I'm definitely looking forward to season two um, because where everyone got left at the end of this season is very interesting and fascinating to me. Um, but now I think,
2: you know, something that surprised me about the show, and and this has been true of a lot of Disney star Wars projects. Um, Kenobi to me is, is a great example of this is right. I, I think we as star Wars fans inevitably get expectations and uh, there's nothing worse than having expectations <laughs> in a lot of ways because uh well, at least having expectations that you're too beholden to, um, and I didn't really have any particular expectations when they announced they were doing, you know, a Cassie and Andor show. I was like, I don't really care. <laughs> like, cool, I'll check it out, and I hope it's good. If it's not, I don't really care. Like, um, and I, I had zero level of excitement to the for the show until we got kind of like a full trailer. And then that clip from uh, the scene where he first meets Luthan. And I was like, wow, this, this looks really good. And I think what got me excited. And I remember talking about this months ago when we got all that stuff was what got me excited was uh, getting to see kind of like a hero's journey for, for Cassian. And we do get that, but in a very different way, right? Uh, I'm used to star Wars kind of being a paint by numbers. Um, So again, like that, that kind of more highbrow artistic stuff that that Andor is really after isn't typically how I approach art in general and let alone Star Wars. Um, again, like we've been saying all along, it's a subjective thing. Um, so I think the type of almost, it is a linear story here. It is a linear story. However, there are a lot of derivatives. Um, it, it is not a point A to point B story at all, I would say, in season one of Andor. Um, so that just, that just really surprised me. Like I, I was really expecting Luthan to be kind of this mentor figure all through season one. It's kind of set up that he'll probably be that to a degree in season two. Um, so again, it it was a show that kind of shook my expectations, um, and, and kind of surprised me. And, and I, I always think of that as kind of a double edged sword. I think there's some really great things about that. And I think there's things about that that just kind of leave me a little disappointed. Um,
0: and I think it, 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 it simply shakes expectations. Like I think all through it, I you know, lots of people were theorizing about it, almost always wrong. It mm. it, it almost always took it, it even said hinted at this direction it was going to go, and then it was like, nope, we're going that way. And I expect season two is going to be the same way. Like I mm. I, I anything I I, I guess is going to happen. I then try to tell myself, yeah, probably not. Mm. <laughs>
1: I, I think the interesting part of the this show, um, looking at it in terms of just like a nar- narrative storyline, is that um, a lot of what we got in season one is usually what we see uh, in terms of backstory that's given to us in exposition in movies or TV shows when characters come in. Uh, and then, you know... Based on the momentum of the story right now, uh, season two is all, you know, kind of up from about season or episode nine or so is where we normally would start the movie in in th- this kind of narrative. And that's going to kind of bleed into season two, I feel like that that's just my sense of things. Um, but a lot of this is like, here's what happened before the movie that you didn't normally get to see yeah and we're actually taking the time to go through all of that and walk through the backstory and the, the exposition that we would normally get in a movie or TV show. And we're actually taking the time to, to go back and see it actually happen. Um, I think that's, that's an interesting, uh, that's a different way of telling the story uh, than we normally have in star Wars.
0: Like from what you were just saying. And what Carl mentioned earlier, the hero's journey, it made me, I was thinking about, Maybe the hero journey, the hero that's having a journey in this is the rebellion, as opposed to any individual person. Like, mm-hmm. you kind of chart the rebellions, like what it wants, and it gets it in terms of the, the big heist, and then there's consequences, like, you know, and then it comes back to where it was and has refound itself. Like, but it's, it's, it's this instead of being a person, it's this amorphous thing that's happening in the galaxy of like the rebellion coming to life you
2: know. Mhm. Yeah, that's a great point, Ben. Um uh, one one final point on this particular track. Uh as this show was coming out, I also was was watching season 1 of House of the Dragon, right? This kind of prequel to Game of Thrones series. And the when that see when that season 1 wrapped, I was like, "Wow, what a waste of a lot of episodes to set up probably what will be a good season 2." Um, that was kind of my biggest plain of complaint about House of the Dragon is the amount of just plot and exposition they felt the need to cover, which kind of made the show suffer. Um, Andor doesn't do that explicitly, but I did feel like season one was this real slow burn, and now we have a lot of stuff to cover in season two, um, mm-hmm. considering where they said it's going to lead us to. Um, so my I guess my point with that is... Um, well, actually, I kind of rescind that point because I really like what you just said, Ben. I really like that season one is kind of this, more than anything, it's a story about a rebellion forming. Um, and I think in some ways, and again, I, I texted this to you and Greg earlier today. Andor is the type of show that I think the more you watch it, the more you're going to glean from it and the more you're going to appreciate it because of just how dense the show is. Um, right. It, it's a very rich show. And I think if you just kind of watch it on the surface, it, it, you're going to miss a lot. Um, and I even noticed that today because like several of these episodes I've only watched once because I was like, yeah, it's fine. But as I've gone back to like in the last couple days and rewatched several of these episodes, I'm like, holy crap, these are there's just so much here. There's so much to sink your teeth into. Um, and what I'm kind of recognizing the show does really well is, you know, Jason, you and I have often talked about this in, in a lot of general ways with Star Wars about how Star Wars stories often have this microcosm and macrocosm of stories. I think Andor is, is doing that. We have the macrocosm story of the formation of the rebellion, and then we also get it in a micro way through a couple of different characters. Um, And I think Cassian, the point of Cassian's story in season one is Cassian is kind of the everyday person existing in a galaxy with an empire and can kind of ignore it until he can't. And then it's you're kind of called to task with what are you going to do about it? And and Cassian is our hero because he doesn't keep his hand in the sand, right? I I think still my favorite scene in the entire series has been that scene between Cassian and Melshi at the end of episode eleven, where Melshi's like, we have to tell people about this. We have to tell people about what's going on, right? That people don't know what the Empire is doing. Um, and, and, and that attaches really well to a point Luthan makes in a previous episode where he says, people don't realize that the Empire's hand is on their throat, but it's squeezing so slowly that they don't notice they're being constricted. Right. Um, so I like that. And he's <laughs> trying to force their hand. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that for for Cassian and, and Melshi. I mean, again, that's why I love that scene so much. This is what defines them as heroes is because of the fact that they are now blatantly aware of the injustice of the empire and what makes them heroes isn't necessarily that they're going to help liberate the death star plans. That's, that's a consequence of the choice they make in this moment, which is simply to stand up and to bear witness. Um, That's what makes them heroes. That's what makes them rebels. Um, And so I, you know, I just really appreciate that point you made, Ben, that this, this whole season is really about the formation of this rebellion um, kind of coming out from the darkness of the empire. Right. And, and, and Marva's speech that she delivers in the finale talking about how, you know, we've been asleep for too long. It's time to wake up. It's time to, to recognize what's going on in the galaxy. That's really what this whole season is about is, is becoming aware of when the empire starts to put its hands on your neck, put your hands up and defend yourself because that's the only way you'll survive. Um, I will say that does throw into, like, I can't help but wonder when Cassian says to Jin in Rogue One, I've been in this fight since I was six years old. Was he? <laughs> like, this show doesn't seem oh, to we'll agree have with that.
0: Yeah, what does that mean, right? Like, like sister, right?
2: What, yeah, what fight is he? Because, <laughs> right, like, we, when we watch Rogue One, we just assume that means, well, he's been in this rebellion. He, we knew that he was on a planet that was a separatist planet that was resisting the Republic. So, you know, we had these suppositions of what that meant for Cassian, but now we get this season one and it's like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> so.
0: Before we wrap up, is one funny thing I really want to tell you. My son uh, is a big Star Wars fan and he watched, he, when he came back for break, he and his girlfriend watched all of the casting episodes uh, leading up to the finale and she's uh, she likes Star Wars, but she's only seen, she'd seen the original trilogy and the prequels and a little bit of The Mandalorian. That's it. So they watch all of it together. And at the end, he's like, now let's watch Rogue One. And they watch Rogue One. And I saw her afterwards. She was like, he dies? Cassian <laughs> just <laughs> dies? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Everybody else, I feel like, kind of knows that going in. But for her, she's like... So I thought it was gonna be like a character I was gonna be seeing forever. <laughs> I mean, maybe Star Wars, you can still see them forever, but so like it was just really funny that she was just shocked that Rogue One ends with Cassian <laughs> dying after all that.
1: <laughs> <up>. <laughs> that is true. We know we know where Cassian's story ends. Uh we just we're on the journey to see how he gets there. Um <laughs> at least many of us know how it ends, apparently. <laughs> it, it, it always it, it does, you know make me laugh to find out that you know there's still people out there that have no idea what
0: happened. I almost wish I could rewatch it with with you know not knowing that Cassian was gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: man. This was good. This is a good episode. Um, anything else that we wanna hit before we start wrapping things up? <laughs> well you know I think
2: it's fair to say that there's there's so much more we could say um, yes. and there yeah. have been a lot of great star Wars podcasts out there breaking this stuff down more in depth than we certainly did today. And Ben, of course you were on one of those great shows breakfast or, Andor, or whatever it's called with the, with the two Greg's yeah. over there, uh, yeah. they did great work every week. Um, and, and so many other shows, but, uh, you know, we'd be remiss not to talk about a new star Wars project in its entirety when it, when it wraps, um, and, uh, you know, I always, I always appreciate the space to be honest about Star Wars, you know, with you, Jason specifically, you know, cause you and I have talked a lot throughout the show that it, it, it hasn't been landing quite as much as we've wanted it to. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, again, that's, that's a subjective thing. It is not in any way an indictment of the show. And I, and again, like I said, just in the last week, the, the amount of times I've revisited episodes, I, I, my appreciation and love for the show is, is increasing dramatically. Um, But what typically draws me to Star Wars is generally not in Andor, and that's okay. (laughs) So, um, but uh, but I always appreciate that that uh, you know I think every Star Wars fan has a right to to voice voice what works and what doesn't work for Star Wars, and right like there's obviously a lot of toxic voices in Star Wars fandom. We know this in all ways, shapes, and forms. Um, But I think if something doesn't work for you, it's okay to say that. You know, um, and and to and to that be, doesn't give
1: you the right to crap on right. Exactly, doesn't work for yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, but it doesn't have to. Work I, for I, you. Yeah,
2: I still know people who, anytime you mention Last Jedi or mention Rey Skywalker, right, they just feel the need to have to like blow up your place and just be like, that all sucks and it's stupid. It's like, well, grow up. You, it's fine that you didn't like it, but like your immaturity about it is pathetic. <laughs> um, you know, and. Uh, And that's the thing I think I I, I can appreciate with the conversations around Andor is for the folks that are just like, you know, it was too slow for me. I couldn't get into it. That's a valid criticism. Like that's that's okay to say. And it's not okay to then say to those people, you're stupid. You don't get art. <laughs> like, that's not okay in my book. No. Um, and for those who are like, this is one of the most brilliant things that's ever come out of Star Wars and I love it. Awesome. Celebrate it. That's great. <laughs> that's so cool, too. Um, but your subjective tastes should never
0: be forced upon others. So. And uh, I mean – Good on you guys for bringing me the contrary voice. Well,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? Like we've, yeah, we we always try to be intentional about uh, just trying to appreciate what what we enjoy about Star Wars, and there were so many things about Andor we both enjoyed, and I I literally have a list of a lot of things I still haven't mentioned, and that's fine. Um, but uh, there's so many things about the show I liked, but you know, if if we're going to talk about something that wasn't particular our cup of tea, we definitely want somebody on who drank this up like it was a delicious english breakfast ben so
0: it was like blue milk yeah
2: <laughs> and we're just a couple moof milkers so that, that's
1: very true that's very true yeah. but that's been true since we started the podcast yeah. carl so,
2: so true Uh-oh.
1: well uh Ben, if people want to uh, follow you and, and see more of your Star Wars thoughts and ideas, uh, where can people do
0: that? It's so complicated. So I used to <laughs> just get my just get my Twitter. <laughs> I haven't been on there very much lately. Um, but you can find me uh, on—you can find me on Twitter at Zen Kenobi, and I'm on Hive, also on Zen Kenobi, and uh, Instagram. You find me at Gonk Squadron.
1: Yes, Gonk Squadron. Yeah. love it. Uh, and Carl, if people want to uh, weigh in on their thoughts on and or season one uh, or anything else, where can people reach us?
2: Uh, well, we're on uh, Twitter at Wampas Lair still. I mean, don't know how long that'll last, but we're still there at Twitter. Uh, but our, our main uh, our main ship now is uh, over on Instagram, like I said, which is at the Wampas Lair. And you're always welcome to email us at wampaslairpodcast at
1: gmail.com yes and uh next episode is going to start our countdown to 500
2: that's right thank Uh, you for the reminder jason
1: we are very (laughs) excited about that we got some uh, we're, we're talking about some of our favorite moments from carl's and my collective top five star wars movies and we'll get into all that next week so that'll be very exciting uh, and will
0: burn you guys.
1: No, I know. <laughs> 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 oh, Well done. Well played, sir. Anything else Carl before we close this out? Uh
2: no. Uh but uh I think I hear a reckoning coming.
1: Mm. <laughs> to Just start Yeah, start tapping all your yes. stuff. exactly alright well thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast this has been episode number 494 and or season 1 for Carl and Ben I'm Jason and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair